0: Offense, man. Sid, number zero, turning
1: table. Joey, number one, main drum kit. Paul, number two, bass guitar. Chris, number three, percussion. Jim, number four, play guitar. Greg, number five, sampling. Sean, number six, percussion.
0: Mick, number seven, guitar.
1: Corey, number eight, I'm a singer. What do you have? Organic brain syndrome.
0: What does that mean?
1: Uh, I have trails and hallucinations for the rest of my life.
0: From doing what? LSD. I'm drug free now, but being from Des Moines, the shithole of the U.S., there, uh, you know, everybody treats us like nobody. So we decided, you know, hey, why not be nobody? We put on the mask.
1: As if there any question. That's right. This week we're talking about Slipknot by Slipknot on Days of the New.
0: Yay! This
1: Thursday, Kevin. How you doing, bud? Uh, You know, I'm doing good. Uh, Small gripe. Small gripe. What's that? Are you on TikTok? No, not so
0: much. So some of it's useful, most of it's not. But it's uncovered a new thing that I hate, which is being told how easy something is by some stay-at-home mom influencer on a 10-second loop while I stare down at my failed breakfast pizza, which they insisted was going to be the easiest thing in the world. And now I'm a
1: failure as a man. That's all. Yeah, that sounds terrible. My uh, my girlfriend's daughter watches YouTube shorts, which are basically just TikToks that somebody ported over to YouTube, and yeah. she watch- watches this girl named Sniper Wolf, which I already set off my warning bells because her name is spelled S-S-Sniper Wolf. And I'm like, no, I don't like the sound of that. All she does is post other people's videos and then comment over that. And she's like, "Wow, this is crazy! Oh, I can't believe that guy did that!" I looked her up. Her net worth is like ten million dollars. She makes millions of dollars a year making these videos that these ten-year-olds just stare at for hours and end.
0: Well, let's get on with our new metal podcast. Anyway, we
1: are also content creators. <laughs> we create content. Content is king, baby. <laughs> Today, that content is Slipknot by Slipknot. Oh,
0: thank God! Thank God, we're doing something good.
1: Yeah, like, well, and like, so Slipknot is good, right? Yes. This album is crushingly, impossibly good at the same time as being real fucking boring on the back. Yeah. So, (laughs) and we'll talk about that a little bit when we break it all down. But ultimately, this isn't one of those episodes where I just make fun of the band because I don't like them. Because like, I fucking forgot how good some of
0: this is. We hurt you because we love you
1: yes yeah i think that's fair so as stated slipknot is one of the most important bands in new metal uh -hmm. they are a band that changed everything in heavy music and i honestly think they're higher on the list than we originally had them and i don't know why it took us until season four to cover them slipknot took what was happening underground uh, in small venues and vfws and shit all over and they brought it to the main stage right so in in 1999 slipknot in my opinion is the best heavy band in the world and there are other you know non-mainstream hardcore bands at the same time doing similar stuff but like there wasn't a band like slipknot that reached across the mainstream and they proved it by absolutely destroying ozfest 99. So that was their first major tour. They got on that tour as nobodies and they left it as fucking folk heroes. Kevin, do you want to see a video of their first Ozfest show? Absolutely. Okay. Can you see this screen? Yes, I can. This is their first fucking Ozfest show. Here we go. Anyway, you get the gist.
0: If, if you've never seen Slipknot, and I know we'll get into like the theatrics and the costume, but real quick, just like imagine running a marathon in a gimp suit in the middle of August. <laughs> and that is the level of physicality that you
1: have to do every single day on ozfest and meanwhile as a fan if you don't know anything about slipknot like everybody in 1999 they had to walk to the south side stage and be like this is the loudest band here and then it just looks like fucking nine batman villains <laughs> are jumping up and down <laughs> on a stage like arkham asylum has been emptied and they started a band <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's hard enough to play with that level of technicality, but like do it
1: with a Halloween
0: mask over you.
1: Yeah. And like they it's, eventually like, you know, got masks that were better suited and stuff. But in the beginning, they really were just like Halloween masks that like Corey glued his own dreadlocks to. And like, yeah, fucking Sean Crayhans just wearing like a Walmart clown mask. And he wore <laughs> that same thing forever. Yeah. It's hard enough to hold up a bank
0: in one of those. Right. Like uh, imagine trying to play OzFest.
1: It's, yeah, it's fucking crazy. So anyway, coming out of Des Moines, Iowa, Slipknot was founded in 1995 by a man named Clown, whose instrument was an empty beer keg and a stick uh, and his two friends. <laughs> so Clown, whose real name is Sean Cran, partnered with drummer Jory Jodenson and bass player Paul Gray to initially start the band. But here's the thing, trying to list the members of Slipknot is like watching a season of Game of Thrones. (laughs) Just when a member gets settled in, they get whacked. (laughs) It's hard to keep track about who's in and who's out. So the lineup that the band had for about a decade was the one that we led off the show with. So Mm -hmm. it was Crahan, Jordanson, and Gray, as well as Craig Jones, Mick Thompson, Sid Wilson, Chris Fain, Jim Root and Corey taylor but Mm -hmm. we should start at the beginning so kevin i'm going to do my very best here
0: all right that's all we can ask for
1: slipknot is basically an all-star lineup featuring members of every heavy band in the des moines metal scene of the early 90s so try to keep track of this like this is that like pepe alvarez was here charlie day with the red strings (laughs) meme all over right (laughs) so so uh Jim Root played guitar in Atomic Opera, which was the most popular metal band in the area. Jordanson drummed for Modifidus and was joined in that band by Craig Jones on the guitar. Mm-hmm. Crahan played drums in Heads on the Wall. Paul Gray was in Vex along with a couple other guys named Josh Brainerd and Anders Kolsefni. Sometimes, Crahan, Kolsefni, and Gray would jam in a whole ass band that never had a name, but once they wrote a song called Slipknot. Then, Gray started in vague catharsis with Brainerd and Colsefni, and sometimes Joey Jordanson sat in with those guys. Then one day, Gray formed a death metal band called Body Pit with Mick Thompson on guitar, but they broke up immediately. In late 1995, Crahan and Gray formed a new band called The Pale Ones with Colsefni on vocals, another guy named Donnie Steele, who's not a porn star but sounds like it, <laughs> he's on guitars, Jordanson then joined that band later on drums. So Crahan moved over to percussion, which again was mostly beer keg. And then they said, fuck it, why not? And they added Brainerd as another guitar player. And they called themselves Meld. And they played their first show on November 5th, 1995. So at this time, Joey Jordanson works nights at a gas station. And Gray and Crahan would just come kick it and hang out and talk about the band. And the three of them together decided on that spot to rebrand as Slipknot. Which is a much cooler name than Meld. They self-financed a demo, which was later released. Uh, it was called Mate, Feed, Kill, Repeat, uh, which had some of the songs that would make mm-hmm. it onto this full length. So it cost them about forty thousand dollars to make that demo, and they self-financed it, which is about seventy-seven thousand dollars in today's money. And these yeah. guys worked at like gas stations and shit. Like I don't, I don't know. It was produced by someone named Sean McMahon. As is um, what we do on this show, I found a quote from Sean McMahon on an old tripod website, and it goes like this. I was contracted by former members of a band called Body Pit to check out their new band at their rehearsal space. I did. I was floored. That band was Slipknot. At the time, Slipknot had three drummers and a guy who wore a wolfskin loincloth singing songs about life as a werewolf. They were so <laughs> incredibly tight. I did not understand where they were coming from lyrically, but I could plainly see they were extremely good at what they did. Pushing the envelope of the hardcore genre, I produced Slipknot's first CD, Mate, Feed, Kill, Repeat. So, in 1996, guitarist Donnie Steele left the band because he felt that the band's lyrics went against his Christian beliefs. Oh, oh, okay. Uh-huh. I don't know why that man was in this band in the first place. Werewolves are good. That's where we draw the yeah, line. Yeah, we draw the line there. Yeah. So then they had to bring in a whole ass other guy named Craig Jones to play guitar. But- Since there were so many samples that they put on in the studio, someone had to do that live and fuck it. (laughs) Why not add one more band member? So Mick Thompson comes in to play guitars and Craig Jones becomes their full-time sampler. The demo didn't get a whole incredible lot of interest. It got some local airplay and some labels were kind of listening, but... They decided they needed to move to a more melodic vocal approach, so they brought in Corey Taylor from the hilariously named Stone Sour to take that role on. Can we just oh, talk yeah. about that for a second? You know Please. what a Stone Sour is, Kevin?
0: Uh, it's, isn't it like a whiskey sour? A
1: Stone Sour is when you take a bass spirit and mix it with sour mix, you know, from the gun at the bar and orange yeah. juice. So, like, in Amaretto Stone Sour is the drink that the 16-year-old orders at the bar when they have a fake ID. (laughs) The whole time I was a bartender. I didn't care how old anybody is. When somebody's like, I am an Amarillo Stone Sour. I'm like, give me your ID. And anyway, these like redneck rough guys from Des Moines started their like Southern rock inspired new metal offshoot Stone Sour. Anyway. Have you
0: Um, checked out my uh, sludge metal band, (laughs)
1: Franzia? (laughs) So like, whatever though. Like Corey Taylor is a fucking great singer. So yeah. So he comes in. But now Kolsevni, who I has to imagine was the guy singing about being a werewolf. Uh, now he moved to a new role doing backup vocals and as another goddamn percussionist, but he quit on stage in a show in 1997. And I mean, two percussionists aren't enough. So they brought in a guy named Greg Welts, who goes by Cuddles to do that. And then fuck it. Why the hell not? They also <laughs> added DJ Sid Wilson to be their ninth <laughs> member, because that must be what was missing from the sound. This is the worst business plan ever. <laughs> uh, like on paper, you'd have an easier time making a living being in a ska band. For, dude, seriously. I mean, I I hope I hope the crowd, I hope you're all still with me here. Cuz Jesus Christ. So, yeah,
0: this is uh Iowa is commonly known as the uh Bakersfield of the Bible Belt. <laughs> <laughs> also, real quick, I just want to back up to the fact that like this plan was hatched in a gas station.
1: Nick, have have you been to Iowa? Yeah, my sister went to college in Iowa. So I've been to Iowa State. And I think that I might have driven through it before,
0: but that's about yeah. it. So I like to buy magnets from every state that I've been to and keep them on my fridge. And right before we recorded this, I went down and I checked out my fridge just because I, honest God, have no idea if I've ever been to Iowa. I have. I went to Riverside, Iowa, which is the future birthplace of Captain James Tiberius Kirk, which was pretty cool. But all that is to say A gas station in Iowa, if you walked in and you saw three of the future members of Slipknot without the masks hanging out at the counter talking to one another, you would get the fuck out of there
1: (laughs) immediately. So anyway, in 98, Slipknot makes another demo with Corey um, that they didn't distribute publicly, but they did use it to shop to record labels. Mm -hmm. This led to Ross Robinson, who we've talked about many times on the show, the godfather of new metal. He attended a rehearsal of theirs in Des Moines and offered to produce their full length. Um this then attracted Roadrunner Records who came along and made them an offer of a 7 album deal for $500,000.
0: <laughs> pull the pull the e break. Let's mm-hmm. talk about it. Hit me. Okay, I ran the numbers. 500,000 in today's money, it's a little over $800,000. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh divided by 9, that's roughly 56k per member before taxes. So 56K in 2001 is the equivalent in purchasing power to about $94,000. So $94,000 for seven fucking
1: albums. (laughs) Well, so so I I think that this is just like their upfront signing bonus, right? Like, cause they're going to still make royalties off of the record and stuff, but there's no way that that's the only money they made, but still it's not a lot of money to commit yourself to, to a seven record deal. It's like, Most bands don't put out seven records. That's your entire musical career. But like think I mean, like one of these guys worked in a gas station, half a million dollars. We should I could pay off my Dodge Neon. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is it is
0: a laughably bad contract. Yeah, not not good. And to this day the members say they've never actually been paid for any of their albums. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, well,
1: that's interesting cuz like I looked up all of their net worth. Yeah. And it was lower than I expected, but they're all still wealthy dudes. Like basically all of them were between 6 million and 15 million dollars in mm-hmm. net worth. So I mean, they've gone on some fucking monster tours, they own their own music festival and shit. So like yeah. they they had opportunities to make money.
0: Yeah, this but this contract is like Tony Victory's wet dream. Of a contract. Extremely.
1: I'm going to fuck you
0: over so hard.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, sometime in 1998, the band decided to number themselves one through nine and each adopted onstage persona complete with the masks and jumpsuits that we mentioned before. And those masks are going to change throughout time to the fact that like. Slubknot builds this crazy fan base, right? And like for yeah. a little while, we didn't know who any of them were. We didn't know what any of them looked like. And it was they really did a good job, like keeping that kind of persona. And as you heard in the cold open at the top of the show, like they said, like people treated us like shit. So we put the masks on, so no one knew who we were, and we were yeah. more than ourselves and whatever.
0: Those OG costumes, it looks like uh, they stopped at like one of those adult stores off of the highway that like shares a parking lot with like a fireworks place and an yeah. abandoned gas station. And like, they just went through the bargain bin.
1: They're like, fuck it. This works. Yeah, for sure. They have these cool matching like jumpsuit jumpsuits. Things. But anyway, so two days before they sign that deal, that guitar player that's been in the band for like five minutes, cuddles, or was he a percussionist? I don't even remember. Oh, cuddles yeah. is out. He gets fired for unknown reasons. So then they get a new guy named Brandon Darner, and he fucking immediately quits. So then they get Chris Fane to come in and play percussion again. <laughs> so now we have the lineup. I, I don't, I think we're good here for the most part. So are you, are you sure? I think, well, we'll, we'll get to it. Okay. For, for years though, this is, this is the core nine. So when they got famous, these were the fellas. So the band heads to Malibu, California to start recording. Oh, I'm wrong. Fucking Brainerd quits the band then. God damn it. But then we get Mick Root, who was like one of the, he's the guy that had like the cool like metal looking mask. Like it looked like he was going into battle. Oh Uh,
0: yeah. That was my favorite mask. Yeah.
1: He had like the BC rich warlock. Like like he was swinging an ax. Mick Root was apparently a guitar teacher and he was the only guitar player in Des Moines that wasn't fucking already in Slipknot. So they head off to Malibu uh, to go make the record with Ross Robinson at Indigo Ranch.
0: Interesting fact, as I was looking into their contract, typically the musician pays out of pocket for the studio time. They fund the album with that money. There's between seven to nine members of Slipknot plus management and they're supposed to pay for their studio fees. There's no fucking way you can do that. So I was like, how did they afford to do this? You know who paid for this album? Who? Ross Robinson.
1: Oh, really? That's fucking sweet.
0: Yeah, I uh, I got a quote here from him. Roadrunner was really just not helping the situation at the time. I fronted all the studio time. I put a deposit on the studio myself. And then for some reason, he sent Mick to the dentist. Like, paid for him to go to the Aww. dentist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever it was, rehearsals, the rehearsal place, whatever it was, I fronted everything until we almost started mixing. So I thought that was incredible. Yeah, that rules. Yeah.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, most things about Ross Robinson, I really like. I will talk about the one thing about Ross Robinson that I really don't like later in this episode. Mm -hmm.
0: As far as Ross Robinson records go, this has got to be top five.
1: Oh, I'm sure. Um, You want to know what my number one is? And it's so weird. Hit me. Relationship of Command by At the Drive In. Huh. Isn't that fucking weird? Yeah. I mean,
0: but that's an amazing album. Did he do Glassdraw? Did he do Glassdraw? Is everything you want to know about science? I think he did, yeah. Uh, That was
1: on Roadrunner too, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, that was a Roadrunner band who, speaking of getting fucked over on contracts.
1: (laughs) All right, cool. So you'll, this one's for you, Kevin. So a little known fact is that while the band was in Malibu, they went to mm-hmm. go see Fantomas. For Ooh. those that don't know Fantomas, it's like uh, Mike Patton from Faith No More and Mr. Bungle's like other band where he does like cover songs of like movie themes only using his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's an oversimplified, but yes, yes it is but uh this experience like super influenced them so like they've they've talked you always hear about oh they were really influenced by kiss and they were really influenced by corn but they Mm -hmm. were really influenced by faith no more and wow sounds in that area and you can hear it it's i mean it's way heavier but like slipknot wasn't cold chamber or you know cold or some of these other bands that like yeah they got the record deal but they didn't really knock any doors down like slipknot Mm -hmm. changed everything like I make fun it's, of that beer keg thing a lot, but it sounds fucking awesome and it looks terrifying on stage. I have so many beer keg jokes in here, <laughs> but you're right. You're
0: right. I will say when Slipknot came out, I mean, they were on my radar in 99. Around when they released Iowa, that was when I started to just phase out of new metal and like make that transition. Oh, me
1: too. Same same time frame. yeah. Yeah.
0: But like, what's hilarious is that it's pure musical snobbery on my, on my part. Like, I would say in the same breath, like- oh, Slipknot is stupid. And then immediately go, but Bad
1: Luck 13 ride extravaganza. That's the shit. It's the same thing. Right. And Slipknot's way better at right, it. Right, right. And like all those bands would tell you that they loved Slipknot. You know? Yeah. But, but they, well, no, I'm sorry. They wouldn't tell you that they loved Slipknot. Like now it's cool again. Like now I'll see press pictures for new bands and they'll have like Slipknot shirts in their in their promo photos and stuff. But like, It got so mainstream that fucking snobby assholes like us were uh, were fucking, you know, we were off. You know, we we weren't listening to Slipknot anymore. We were listening to the fucking like As I Lay Dying, which is a fucking thing. (laughs) And no one in Slipknot tried to murder their wife. So there's that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you got that going for you. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so we should probably actually get to the record, right? Yes. Slipknot by Slipknot was released on June 29th, 1999, which is just... Over a month from their first Ozfest show, as I said, Ross Robinson produced it, officially making it a new metal classic. That's canon if Ross Robinson does your record, it's a legendary it's new metal. Yeah, uh, and it's a new metal, including at the driving um, <laughs> and Glassjaw. <laughs> yeah, they they, both of those records are borderline new metal. The album hit number fifty-one on the Billboard two hundred, which isn't great, but it did eventually go double platinum, and like every mall goth kid in the world bought it. There weren't that many of them, no. Slipknot is extremely Hot Topic core.
0: This is the album that made Hot Topic.
1: Yeah, I think. Hot
0: Topic rests upon yeah. the the turtle shell of Slipknot <laughs>
1: in their world. So um, the cover uh, of the album is uh, the band in a group shot wearing jump, red jumpsuits and their masks with the now very famous Slipknot logo, logo in white at the top. I like it because it, they didn't try to do like what Korn did and like, ooh, here's something mysterious. They were just like, we're already weird. Here's our picture. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's just not nine weirdos. Yeah, exactly. So the album was uh pretty critically acclaimed. Rick Anderson from AllMusic wrote, You thought Limp Biscuit was hard? They're the Osmonds. These guys are something else entirely, and it's pretty impressive. Rolling Stone called it metal with a capital M. So <laughs> the mainstream had never heard anything like this before. And like frankly, like hardly you know, had I. Like, you know, I'd heard Pantera and I'd heard cannibal corpse and things that were like super brutal and heavy to my ears but like something that and I was already a big Corn fan at this time but like Corn's live show yeah Jonathan fucking moved around but the rest of the dudes just did that like bounce up and down thing a fucking Slipknot live show is chaos
0: yes it absolutely is everything is on fire there are cranes Uh, they are assaulting each other yeah like it, it is violence and chaos on a level that like if you saw one band do that, you'd be like, that was the craziest show I've ever seen. They did that shit every I mean, night.
1: I, so uh, I showed you that clip earlier, which we'll put on the Instagram of um, mm-hmm. Slipknot's first uh, Ozfest show. So this first track on the album is what serves as their walk-up music as they walk onto the stage. And it's called 742617000027, which apparently was like the barcode of that Feed, Mate, Kill, Repeat release that they did. Gotcha. Uh, when it went on sale so, i'm gonna
0: play i'm gonna play that for powerball
1: i uh, is a great idea so this serves as their walk on music for live shows it's like big swirly mess with a sample of a woman saying mm. the whole thing i think is sick and that's actually a sample from a movie about charles manson from the 70s
0: oh okay so
1: I'm, i do want to play a clip of this just because like i i do want to set the tone for the record just like they set the tone for their live show mm-hmm. And like does that for like thirty six more seconds.
0: It, it's really interesting because I I do have a note here that says this sets the tone. It does, and it's great walk on music. Objectively great walk on music.
1: Well, and dude, in that video, it, it's gnarly, dude. So clown is, Sean Cran is one of the first people that comes out, and he's staring at the crowd, and like I I can't imagine. I don't know how early in the day they played in that first show. Like, if I recall, they started that show on the, or that tour on the side stage and they were on the big stage by the end of the tour.
0: That video you showed me was definitely second stage. Oh, it is. It
1: is for sure. It's second stage.
0: I'm sure the sun was hanging directly in the sky.
1: Yeah. I mean, they're playing at 11 in the morning, right? Yeah. But there's people there and sean just walks out and he's got this scary clown mask and he's staring at the crowd and he just keeps putting like finger guns to his head and like fake pulling the trigger and then like doing like a come on motion to the crowd and then it's terrifying it's, it's yeah it's and then great. you know and, and a minute later he's playing playing the keg like a maniac <laughs> so <laughs> the next song is sick or s-i-c however you want to uh, pronounce this one and the first thing that happens in this song, which is really the first song on the album, is mm-hmm. Joey Jordanson shows you that he is a fucking badass. Like, yeah. the drumming in Slipknot is like nothing I had ever heard before.
0: Yeah, no, Slipknot is the drumline from hell. Oh, he, that's is, amazing. Yeah, Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Just, it's n- constant pummeling. And you've got, you know, if he's not doing his thing, you've got... Two other percussionists just driving. It's, you never get it, you never get reprieve.
1: All right. Well, let's just give it to them because if some of the people listening to this haven't listened to Slipknot in ages, which I imagine yes. is probably the majority of you, when I went to listen to this to write this show, mm-hmm. I was brought back to my friend's car the first time I heard this with oh, like a yes. subwoofer in the back and my brain just melting out of my ears. So here you go. Hell yeah
0: yeah imagine spending all that time learning how to become this amazing drummer or like shred on guitar and now you're splitting your
1: profits with a guy who's hitting a keg with a baseball bat yeah dude uh, so, <laughs> so so the themes of struggle come out of the gates immediately their their um lyrical output is while a little bit better it's above average new metal lyrics they are still new metal lyrics all their songs mm-hmm. are about like hating themselves and nobody else likes me and addiction and i'm real mad and i'm learning how to deal with being real mad but this one comes out immediately with with uh corey's enemy show me what you want to be i can handle anything even if i can't handle you and it like it's so fucking heavy the song has a lot of cool halftime parts it has a, a really clear line to corn for me but it's yeah. different it's like they ev- it's like a if corn was a Pokemon, Slipknot's a title <laughs> form. I I don't know enough about Pokemon to really riff on that. Uh <laughs> Yeah. You know, like we said, the added percussion actually plays and it adds an insanely cool element. And I'm sorry that I made fun of it so much before, but I'm probably still going to make fun of it some more. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. The next song is eyeless. And what I want to talk about to start at eyeless, we've talked about on other shows, but I'm actually going to get into it. We start Mm. the song with an amen break. Yes. Yes. We,
0: it is the loop in every jungle and techno adjacent song from this era
1: so let's do an educational segment hit me the amen break is one of the most important drum parts ever recorded it was a drum part in the song amen brother by a band called the winstons from 1969 so, in this moment of the song, the rest of the band drops off, and drummer Gregory Coleman plays this unaccompanied drum break for seven seconds. Now, because there was no other instrumentation behind it, it was extremely easy to sample. So, it made its way onto these like sample records that early hip hop DJs would use to create the beats for their songs. So, like, mm-hmm. I mean, most notably, this is the whole beat in NWA straight out of Compton. Yep. Is yep. the Amen Break. And and because you can speed it up, slow it down, shift the pitch, according to whosampled.com, this is the most sampled track in the history of music. So what I'm gonna do here is I'm gonna play the original Amen Break, and then we're gonna play the beginning of Eyeless. And then we'll just talk about eyeless but i wanted to tell you guys about this thing because i think it's really cool and you'll hear it in new stuff i mean Vane fm uses the amen break like you'll recognize it almost immediately
0: it's it's like the, the the willem scream
1: yeah oh yeah exactly it's yeah and it's fun just like the willem scream to it's like an easter egg like yeah when, when you hear it now sometimes i'm like lame but other times i'm like ah that was super clever the way slipknot uses it is on the clever side yes So anyway, here is the Amen break. Okay, so that's it. Just that little snippet of drums. And now let me show you the beginning of this song.
0: be sweet huh yeah very awesome i i think that this song and uh almost everything else on here established slipknot as one of the few bands where the dj is actually an integral part of the band like you look at a lot of new metal acts like did
1: limp biscuit really need dj no, lethal 100% not. <laughs> i think lincoln lincoln park did yeah but the dj at this point in time was like such a new metal trademark that i remember my senior year of high school which i graduated high school in 1999 we we started this fucking terrible band in like the attic above my my buddy's mom's like retail store and we had like one friend in our friend group that didn't play anything he wasn't in the band and two of the guys came to me and they're like hey brian wants to join the band um We're thinking about making him the DJ. I was like, he doesn't DJ. And they're like, well, we're just going to get one turntable and one record and he can just like scratch it. And I was like, that's not what a DJ does. No, it's not what a DJ does. (laughs) I mean, scratching is part of it, but like, oh my God. Um, But anyway, so um, I think as further proof that this album is new metal, the first lyric in this song rhymes insane and brain gotta have it, um, gotta have it. Yeah, and then he gets into the phrase, you can't see California without Marlon Brando's eyes, but he's 100% aping system of a Downs vocal approach.
0: Yeah, no, you're right on that.
1: But yeah, apparently he heard a homeless man say that phrase and it stuck with him and he included it in the song. But it's it's a heavy-ass banger with new metal riffs. He says motherfucker a lot, which is always fun. <laughs> and then great. it ends with like a huge mosh part. Like it's a fucking great song. Like what's so insane is when you think about it, Iowa, this
0: came out of yeah. Iowa. yeah. Well, there's nothing else to do. Yeah, there's nothing else to do except make
1: the heaviest shit in the world, I guess. Fucking smoke meth.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know
1: of any other bands. Let's see. Who else is from Des Moines?
0: It's just going to be a list of Slipknot's bands. Dude,
1: you're not kidding. Uh, uh, You're right. Yeah, Painface, Stone Sour. These are all Slipknot adjacent bands. Toto. Toto? The only, yeah. Africa? Africa? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like... Well, that's wild because like both Toto and Slipknot have people that are very good at their instruments, so maybe mm. maybe that's what you. But I mean, we also have Gloom Balloon, the Junk Beer Kidnap Band. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad. How about just Iowa bands? <laughs> oh no, let's 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 broaden this. The Everly Brothers.
0: Uh, okay.
1: Yeah, this dude Iowa is not. Ooh, Modern Life Is War. Oh, okay. That's kind of neat. Yeah. All right. Anyway. Uh, that's, it. that's a, that's a segment called who the fuck else came from Iowa. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, all right. So the next song is uh, probably the most commercially successful song on the album. And that is "Wait and bleed. Um, yeah, this is the one like I was feeling this album like crazy. Right. But when the chorus came on to wait and bleed for me the first time, it just it blew my fucking mind because I was like, oh, my God, he can, they can write hooks, too.
0: Yeah, uh, th- this was my first introduction to Slipknot, and I'd never heard anything like it in my life. Yeah, it was like nine people with one unified goal of making the most menacing shit ever. And Corey's voice on this, I mean, it's so raw. And he's just going for it. Obviously, his voice becomes a little bit more refined. But oh yeah, like, yeah. And that's why I love this album is because it's it's not fully developed. And what he's lacking and maybe like some technical acumen, he's going for in raw power.
1: Well, let's uh let's just give it to him. Uh, here's, yeah, here's wait and bleed. I thought, yeah. Up in me, live down clear the stone of leaves. I wander out right where you can't see. Inside my shell, I wait and bleed. I felt the air rise up in me. It's just so good.
0: Is it me or like is this entire album like just a little off time?
1: Oh, interesting. This
0: this album to me is like the soundtrack to a panic attack.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. But I think that's like having three percussions are gonna do that. you even you can throw a click track on it. They're always gonna be a little tiny bit off, I imagine.
0: Yeah, and it, but it adds to the whole the uh, And the reason I break it up. Yeah, it adds to the madness of it is that you can never really sit and be comfortable with this album.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, it does not allow for that. So yeah. uh, Joey Jordanson actually wrote this song, the drummer. Interesting. Uh, he wrote all the guitar parts and stuff. Like uh, Joey and um, Corey are the only ones credited with the music for this. Uh, Corey quickly put the lyrics together in the melody. Corey Taylor has said this song is about that switch in your head that can go off at any moment, how we can commit terrible acts and how at any moment humans can become animals. But the thing that I find most interesting is this song Lost the best metal Grammy in two thousand one to the Deftones song "Elite" off of White Pony, which I've never understood. I love White Pony, but "Elite" isn't even close to the best song on that album, and it is not as good as "Wait and Bleed." (sighs) Mm,
0: Tough, tough call, tough call.
1: Yeah, I mean, "Elite" for me, you know. So, you know, when you look at like a wave of an mp3 and its peaks and valleys elite Mm -hmm. is just like maximum loud all the way down (laughs) chino's got that (laughs) vocal effect that distortion on his voice the lyrics aren't as interesting when you're ripe you'll bleed out of control i don't know man wait and bleed i don't know dude i fucking love that song i think it's it's good but like it wasn't the best song on White Pony, and I just wait, wait and bleed. Like changed the genre. I think if people listen to White Pony and they're like, "What song changed the, the, the genre?" It's like Digital Bath or Passenger. We should All probably right, do what, White Pony.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we keep on circling that one. We still haven't
1: done any Devtones, Kevin.
0: Yeah, I know. I know. Like, I don't know. We'll leave it up to the fans. I kind of have a soft spot. I want to do Adrenaline.
1: Oh man. Well, I mean, it's the most new metal of them. Okay, so what we're saying is that
0: Elite is the Aqualung.
1: Yeah, yeah, of 2001, yeah. Yeah. In 2000, uh, Slipknot performed Wait and Bleed on the Conan O'Brien show, and it's as crazy looking as it fucking sounds.
0: <laughs> Never even.
1: It's it's super weird because they have, like, still using, like, 90s cinematic effects and zooms and fades and shit, and, like, all nine of these guys are on this fucking tiny stage. And then at the end, Conan, like, walks out to shake their hands, and he's, like, four feet taller than everybody in the band <laughs> Yeah, no, Conan O'Brien could be in Slipknot without the mask. I mean his freakish looking. Man, Conan O'Brien's seven feet tall and his fucking hair is one feet tall. Yeah, just give him a xylophone. <laughs> He's a member of Slipknot. <laughs> um, all right. So the next song, this is one of those songs like we've spoken about in Corn, where like you would drive by and then like as you pass people, you would turn it up really loud and like scream the first lyric. It goes yeah. down and like Swear word music history, along with like that offspring song where everybody's like, stupid, dumb shit, goddamn motherfucker. motherfucker. So that's this one. Listen to that beer keg. <laughs> <laughs> uh-
0: Uh, You know, I know Ross tunes into this podcast, so I'm just going to give him a little, uh, you know, constructive criticism.
1: Turn down that high pitched squeal because it's really tough to get over. Yeah, that one's that one's it's a sample like they could real easy mix that one down.
0: Yeah. Turn that shit down. The mix. Uh, The breakdown at about 50 seconds in is great. those little moments that I live for, like those big stompy fucking mosh parts. Uh, it's like, that is your reprieve. That is the moment you get to breathe.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I agree. And like, it just shows how good Joey Jordanson is too. Like He's some so, of his, his so snare good. work is so cool. And then I have the note that says this song has some cool beer keg riffs. No,
0: the, the, the beer keg is on full display here. And I will say that this is probably the first song where you get to hear what individual members are contributing and that it's not just a gimmick
1: yeah yeah i mean you just heard uh their dj got a little solo right there yeah
0: yeah in the middle of a breakdown right before the beer keg comes on like yeah i
1: mean this album had to be a fucking bitch to mix oh my god what a fucking nightmare this must have been (laughs) nine guys yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I mean each guitar part was all the all the rhythm guitars are going to be tracked three or four times too. So just so many layers.
0: Could you imagine doing the demos and then
1: tracking the beer keg? No, seriously. So the next song is spit it out. Um, and <sighs> fun fact, this is actually the demo version. So it has Brainerd on guitar, not. Root. Uh-uh. It's also a rap metal song. This is silly. Yeah, and it was the first single. So I don't remember. I think that surfacing was the first Slipknot song I ever heard, or sick spit it out was pretty quick It's it was the first single, but it's one of my very least favorite songs on the album but as a young limb biscuit fan in 1999 i thought it was pretty cool it has a shitload of samples in it but it, it just has a goofy ass fucking verse
0: yeah let's look can we play the verse and then i have a, yeah. i have a few things to say yeah there. did you never give a damn in the first place maybe it's time you want the tables turned, because in the interest of all evolved i got the problem solved and the first is guilty. Okay, so who do you think Corey Taylor's top five rappers are?
1: Oh, no. Uh, all right, so I'm going to say LL Cool J because he name drops him on this record. Uh, mm-hmm. And by the same token, I'm going to say Chuck D because he name drops okay. him too. Um, if I'm going to round out the next three, we're going to go with Grandmaster Flash. Mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, uh, run yeah, Run DMC. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's going to be another goofy ass rapper. Uh, so we're going to go with, uh, cool Keith. Okay. Well, you're one for four
0: top five rappers.
1: Ooh. Uh, for
0: me, um, in no order, uh, Chuck D, uh, cube. Ugh, he's the man, uh, iced tea. Tech, I'll go with Tech Nine. Tech Nine, nine. absolutely, yeah. he's fantastic. He's a good friend too, so yeah. it's pretty rad. Yeah. You know, The fifth man, you know, I, you know, any one of the Beastie Boys, fantastic. Because they're man. the fucking, they're the men. Fantastic.
1: Okay, fucking nobody thinks Ice T is one of their top five rappers
0: any one of the beastie boys doesn't matter pick a beastie boy even the dead one they're all pretty even just just pick one that that's uh, you know they're, they're so good they're so good and yeah you're right ice tea is nobody's favorite no. i am a psychopath walking criminal
1: no, no he's not good he's not a good rapper right body count rules but ice tea as a rapper is terrible and we can't forget that yeah, we made the joke before but the man that like made all of his fame from fucking writing and recording cop killer has played a fucking cop on tv for the last 27 fucking years
0: no shit and cheerio spokesman i know we never got to talk about that but i love the fact the guy who wrote cop killer is now a cheerio spokesman unbelievable i i say i blabber the point here so when it comes to the rapping on this nick did you know he's not rapping mm, how, how do you figure oh well Corey breaks it down for us in a 2019 article with uh, Revolver. He was asked about rapping on this song, and he acknowledged the hip-hop element there, but he also pointed to a less frequently cited influence on the song's sound. So, I quote, People don't realize that it's a hardcore song, he said. That's me channeling HR of bad brains and everything that I grew up listening to and just spitting as hard as I could.
1: Well, i would maybe agree with that on when he starts shouting but in the beginning he's definitely doing white boy rap
0: that's not a that's not a bad brain no
1: it's not not anything like bad brains (laughs) that's a why would you even say that yeah i don't know i mean because i mean i think that because like so as a new metal fan i used to hear the guys talk about Fucking bad brains and fucking suicidal tendencies. And like I understood mm-hmm. that those were all bands that like were important and I should like. And then when I went back and finally listened to them, I was like, I don't fucking like any of these bands. I, <laughs> I don't like bad brains. I've tried a thousand fucking times. I don't like it. I like bad brains,
0: but no, I get the same thing with like my uh with black flag. It's like, oh, gee, oh yeah black flag, man. Yeah, my so war
1: funny. is good. Everything else sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Suicide is pretty good though. Yeah anyway so I so this is one of those moments where we have spent the majority of the time on this recording talking about these first few songs we're probably going to get through the rest of these at a quicker pace because they're mm-hmm. all kind of one song so the next song is tattered and torn which isn't really a song it's just kind of filler that takes up some time it sounds like a broken toy like in a haunted house my dog
0: hates this song yeah
1: well, i kind of hate this song
0: yeah no, the, the 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 frequencies
1: in it he fucking loses it. Interesting. Yeah, yeah it's it's nah. it's, not, it's not great. It's pure filler. Um, so the next two songs are uh, "Frail Limb," "Nursery," and "Purity," and those are actually removed from the album. Uh, well, so there was a um website called Crime Scene that like reported on. What was supposed to be true crime but in reality like they made it all up so uh-huh. they listened to this episode of crime scene about this girl named purity knight who was like kidnapped and buried alive and it was this super fucking disturbing story so frail limb nursery actually uses audio from that crime scene.com's what uh whatever's uh Mm -hmm. audio and they got a bunch of pressure because they were totally in like copyright violation so they pulled both songs from this release shortly after oh interesting frail limb nursery never came back but purity was released on like a greatest hits or whatever but like they're that's literally all we need to say about them the next song is liberate which is another song about being angry and accepting it and just more it just sounds Again, like Iowa fucking kind of sucks.
0: Yeah. In the grand scheme of this album, this is pretty forgettable.
1: Mm -hmm. Prosthetics is up next. Um, This song is about the 1965 horror film, The Collector, which is like about some guy that collects butterflies and dead people. Hmm. It's pretty percussion heavy. Once it gets going, it sounds a lot like corn.
0: Yeah. I feel like this was written by a keg guy. (laughs) It's... It's it's an interesting song. It's an unsettling song. It it feels like their attempt at writing like a tool song.
1: Okay, that's interesting.
0: Yeah, that that that's the vibe I got.
1: Yeah, Slipknot's just trying to write Slipknot song. The next song is No Life, and this is the second rap metal song on this album. <laughs> it has a shout out to LL Cool J. It's really weird. He goes, "A oh, maniac psycho like like the Cool J." Cause like LL Cool J calls himself a maniac psycho and mama said or mama said knock him out. Oh,
0: that's right. Maniac <laughs> psycho. Yeah.
1: yeah. Also, thinking about LL Cool J.
0: Do you remember the uh LL Cool J song Hey Lover?
1: Oh, I don't know.
0: If you heard it, you would know it. Boys to Men was on it. Uh, it's from like the album Mr. Smith. Okay. Well, so the whole point of it is that LL spies this girl and he wants to steal her from her man. Uh he has this verse where he goes uh I got to take you from your man. That's my mission. If his love is real, he got to handle competition. You've only known him for 5 months. Besides he drinks too much and smokes too many blunts. Who the fuck are you, LL, to walk up and be like, hey, your man drinks too much?
1: <laughs> well, was this like fitness, LL Cool J, when he was just yes, in like tracksuits and got fucking yoked? Yeah, no, it's uh, like in the video, he's actually like pumping yeah, weights. It's like a lifestyle rap.
0: Yeah, I don't know. If somebody walked up, like, I got to steal you. He can handle competition. By the way, he drinks too much. Fuck you, LL. I right. like, don't every, know how much I every,
1: Everybody fucking knows I drink too much, LL. <laughs> you
0: know, come here and tell
1: me I drink too much. You say that to my face. I got a few in me. I can handle it. <laughs> Kevin says this while he's drinking a beer right now. Why? <laughs> My last note on this song says, uh, I'm starting to think that this album might have too many songs on it.
0: It definitely has too many songs on it.
1: The uh, next one is called "Diluted," And it's another song about hating yourself and being mad about it. In the chorus, he just yells, what the hell did I do to deserve this? And all I could think of was like, what the hell did I do to deserve this seven record deal? <laughs> I am famous (laughs) and on OzFest. Why? Why?
0: (laughs) I love this track, dude. The end of it is heavy as fuck. You want me to play it? Yes. Big soul fly energy. And you know, yeah. you know, I love the random
1: fuck. Yeah. The, the drum line from hell right there is pretty sweet too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, it's simple and it's perfectly well executed and it just like, yeah, it hits me in that, in that part of my brain that makes me want to flip
1: my desk over. The next song is called Only Only One, and it has a Slayer sample in it, which is Does it really? But yeah, just like a guitar note, and then they pitch shift it. There's, I found a YouTube video that literally just shows every sample on this record, and it plays yeah. the original source, and then how it is used on the record. It was pretty fun.
0: So th- this song, to me, sounds like a Pantera track, if like phil and sommel decided to hang out with black people and
1: (laughs) try try a little rapidy rap (laughs) yeah it is the third rap metal song on on the album um this song was originally on mate feed kill repeat but it was slower and uh Mm -hmm. they changed all the lyrics for the new one and uh rap instead Hmm. i'm glad that they only rap on this record three times because while it's It's not very good.
0: Yeah. Do you think Corey Taylor like ever refers to himself as an MC? Oh no, he's being he's being hardcore. Oh right. All of these rap metal songs—they're just a reminder that underneath, like even the most menacing metal dude, there's a fucking cringy dork.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's super super accurate. There was a thread in um R slash New Metal yesterday on Reddit. That was like, what are the cringiest lyrics in the history of new metal? And Jesus Christ, dude, it was uh, so
0: bad. It's so
1: bad. Yeah. There's a kid rock song that I was unaware of where he talks about how like being underage, you call that statutory. Well, I call it mandatory. And now I'm going to find it because that deserves a whole episode. Mm, Wonderful. Yeah. Let's, let's bring it home, dude. All right, cool. Uh, Scissors. Um, Joey Jordanson wrote this one as well, and he wrote most of the lyrics, except for the third verse. It's about self-harm and it is a very different lyrical approach than the rest of the album. It's all like symbolic. Mm -hmm. It's super heavy and screamy, but it, fucking does the thing that I don't like that Ross Robinson does. And it has (laughs) the classic new metal singer having a fucking breakdown in the booth part.
0: Yep, it's the lose your shit in the booth track that we've come to expect from Ross Robinson.
1: Yeah, it's one of the two things I don't like about Ross. We're going to get to the second one in just a second. But first three comes around, Corey Taylor apparently ad-libbed that part and the song ends with like Corey giggling like a lunatic and then doing that like scream laugh while putting reverb on the track that like Ross Robinson would have John Davis do. It's very yeah, I'm twisted. It's twisted inside. I'm twisted inside. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh you mentioned that Fane has a track for vomit. So mm-hmm. there is a secret track on the physical version of this track which you can find on YouTube. I'm not going to play it, but it is the band watching a porno that involves scat. Really? So Ross Robinson, because he always has some weird found footage at the end of his fucking albums, he plays that. And it's these guys in the room watching the scat porn and you hear Fane start coughing and then he throws up because, you know,
0: it's gross. Let's keep in mind that at the time this album was recorded, you didn't
1: just Google scat porn. No, you had to go buy it or get it from uh, like a flea market.
0: Yeah, you had to own it (laughs) <laughs> and then you had to be like wait wait let me fast forward to this part you had yeah. to know all these things so we've come a long ways as society yeah
1: kind of um and then there is another secret track or a late add-on track called eeyore did you do that one kevin i did yes it's interesting. it has an ice cube sample and uh yeah this song is about the local like dick in the mosh pit apparently that mm-hmm. would like crowd kill and not help people up and this song is about how he got his ass kicked
0: Interesting. Hmm. I did some research of my own and I discovered that in Austin, there is an event called Eeyore's Birthday Party. It's been held since 1963 and it typically occurs on the last Saturday in April. It includes live music, food and drink vending. Uh, which all benefit local nonprofits and attendees in colorful costumes and a very large drum circle, which sounds right up Slipknot's alley <laughs> if there was more sweat and vomit and people in jumpsuits bleeding and shitting and pissing themselves.
1: <laughs> well, so that does kind of wrap up the album. So we'll we'll quickly kind of try to do a where are they now. And um, this part isn't as fun as some of the other parts that we've talked about. So... After the first record blew up, they pretty quickly put out the follow-up, which was called Iowa, which was a commercial hit. It had three singles. Uh, But the band was experiencing a lot of infighting. We'll probably get to Iowa in like season seven, because it's pretty good. But the band was infighting a lot. They went on hiatus. So during this time, Taylor and Root, thanks to the commercial success of Slipknot, were able to actually get their other band, Stone Sour, a record contract. And that's when they were like, oh my God, we can see two of their faces for the first time. It was pretty lame. Yeah. And then Joey Jordanson formed the Murder Dolls at this time, which is an extremely hot topic core band Mm -hmm. um they came back and put out the subliminal verses which was produced by rick rubin and that did win them their first grammy in 2006. in 2010 paul gray founding member was found dead in a hotel room in the middle of fucking nowhere iowa off of interstate 80. toxicology (sighs) reports showed that it was due to an overdose of morphine and fentanyl yeah so fentanyl started taking them out way back then so, yeah, anyway, that sucks. Um, the band didn't really know what to do, but as most bands do, they carried on. Um, that fucking Donnie Gray, or Donnie Gray came back. He joins the band to replace Gray in 2011, but they stuck his ass behind a screen so nobody could see him. He didn't get to wear a mask or anything. No mask for you, Donnie. In uh, 2012, the band held their first annual Knot Fest, and it's also the year that they released their very own iOS app. Slipknot, wear the mask, which allowed users to design their own masks. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the part of Slipknot where a kiss was their influence beyond their music, but into, yeah, selling this shit out of everything,
0: right? Merchandising, baby.
1: In 2013, Joey Jordanson left the band. Um, the band announced that he quit and Joey was like, "What? Fuck? no, I didn't. And uh, yeah, it was a big mess. Here's my favorite one. On March 11th, 2015, guitarist Mick Thompson had to be hospitalized after getting into a drunken knife fight with his brother at his Iowa home.
0: As one does. in Iowa, That's <laughs> called an Iowa
1: handshake. <laughs> this is what you do. In 2019, Chris Fain filed a lawsuit against the band saying they were fucking him out of royalties and he left the band. Um, that part's funny because like, I looked up his net worth and it's like $6 million. And it's like, bro, you fucking banged on a fucking tom tom drum. Like, <laughs> you didn't write any of this shit. Like, I think that, like, maybe fucking Mick and uh, Corey deserve more yeah. the royalties, but yeah, I don't know what maybe, the fuck maybe do maybe I know. Know your role. Hey, guys, guys, listen to this song I wrote. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> on a july 26th uh 2021 former drummer and founding member joey jordanson died in his sleep he was 46 years old that was a pretty crushing one just because uh he was a pretty well-loved uh, guy in the heavy music scene very very influential probably the most influential member of slipknot i would say in, in how people approached Heavy music and 46 is too fucking young. That sucks. Yep. Yep. The good news is that Slipknot carries on. They released their seventh album, The End of So Far, on September 30th, 2022, uh, which completes their obligation to Roadrunner. It'll be interesting to see what they do now if they go like the Metallica route and start self-releasing music, which is what they should do. Yeah, uh, obviously. They have enough money too. So yeah, go make all the money, fellas. Yeah. But listening to this album for the first time in years kind of pumped me up and like. I think I'm going to dive in and listen to all their new records that I've never listened to and see how it holds up and see how I like it and see if, you know, it's had a, an influence on modern metal.
0: Yeah, I feel like this is kind of like the Kitty episode where there's a band that I just kind of like, you know, yeah, they're good, but then I wrote them off. And then as I go back, I'm like, damn, this is really good. And I need to I, I need to kind of rediscover it.
1: I agree. I, I mean, I really did really did enjoy the enjoy this one. So that just about wraps us up here. What, uh, what have you been listening to lately?
0: I have been listening to the newest track from Sam I Am called Lights Out, Little Hustler. I
1: saw that that came out, but I haven't listened to it.
0: It's so good, as you're about to hear in a minute. But
1: yeah, Sam I Am, they have not
0: released an album since like 2012, and it's just an amazing little piece of punk goodness. So I will play Lights Out, Little Hustler. You with It's Lights Out Little Hustler by
1: Sam I Am. Nice, true to form. Mhm. What I have been listening to lately is uh I've i work's been pretty stressful. I'm filling a lot of positions and when I work I like to have uh music without words in the background. Mm-hmm. Um so I think I've talked about like the instrumental doom playlist that uh that I've created. Yes. Uh, so this isn't on there. This is on a different perspective. So when Kevin and I went to Furnace Fest, we would come back from festival and uh Sit back and uh, drink bourbon and watch the Bruce Willis movies after his diagnosis with aphasia. We'll maybe talk about that another time. <laughs> I can't. I didn't, oh yeah, that's a that's a whole other thing. But yeah, yeah there's a there's a lot a lot of them. Uh, but anyway, a lot, a lot to unpack. <laughs> um, we also watched this movie called Bushwick, which stars yes. Dave Bautista, and it's like this really fucking gnarly. Like post-apocalyptic like the government is being overthrown by right-wing extremist movie and like definitely worth the watch kind of a b movie but uh, i really enjoyed it and i was uh really enjoying the music and uh we looked it up and like aesop rock did the motion yeah. picture so this is a uh, corner store the first track off of the bushwick original motion picture soundtrack by aesop rock
0: So good, such a good soundtrack.
1: Yeah, and it's you know it just goes on like that for a while. It's delightful. I'm a sucker for a melody being played out on a bass guitar. It's pretty sweet. Yep. Um, it's just a lovely little track, and uh, for a movie that scared the shit out of me.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, that shit was Panic Attack City. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, uh, we really appreciate all of y'all listening. So uh, we want to roll out a new Q and A section of this show. I uh, I've spoken to some of you on social media and on Reddit about uh, potentially coming onto the show, asking us questions, giving us cool new bands to check out or anything at all. So we wanna open up our inbox to you, our listeners, and invite you to a certain amount to become our collaborators. So what I want you to do is if you have a question that you wanna ask us on the show, uh, I want you to grab your phone and record it. Give us your social media and then ask us the question and then send that recording to daysofthenew at gmail.com. That's it. It's just D-A-Y-Z of the new and you at gmail.com. And, uh, we'll take our favorite questions and we'll, uh, we'll put your audio on the show with that. I think that's it for the week. You can, uh, find us on Instagram and Twitter at days of the new, although I'm not really checking the Twitter so much anymore. So probably Uh, Instagram is the place. I'm going to even just drop the Twitter. Um, you can find me Nick on Instagram and Twitter at Nick underscore the underscore knife. You can find me at kjdelury on
0: Instagram, and that's really about it. I mean, I really don't update that much. But if you want to see a bunch of memes about how much capitalism sucks,
1: <laughs> sure. <laughs> I know, you know man. Your Instagram me. feed has been bleak. I, don't know, I haven't really been active on social media lately. I should, uh, I should try and figure out how to put put more stuff out there. I just uh, engage, be a content machine. I'm go, goddammit. it! hit up just repost sniper wolf shit. <laughs> all right uh kevin what are well we'll be back next week with another mosh pit but uh yep. for our next full-length episode what, what are we covering, buddy we're going to be
0: talking about the enemy the enemy of every new metal band nick we're going to be talking about boy bands
1: okay i'm not gonna elaborate any more into details so nick uh, i i just want it that way so uh, shut the fuck up Uh days of the new is a production of the palm springs 86 Tell me why you were there.